Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 224. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If, episode 8, What If Ultron 1, directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey, and AC Bradley is the head writer of the series. But before that fun starts, just want to let you know where you can have even more fun listening to podcasts from us. Fan Show Plus is available to premium subscribers on Apple Podcasts and on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber if you want to access the show that way. Or you can search for MCU Fan Show or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. You will find our channel and you can subscribe there. So on the next edition of Fan Show Plus, I'll be talking about... The latest news regarding Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings crossing the $200 million milestone at the domestic box office, as well as the film's upcoming home release, and of course the settlement between Disney and Scarlett Johansson over Black Widow's day-and-date theatrical and Disney Plus release. So you can access that via Apple Podcasts or, as I said, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then just make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everyone who has already taken the time to do so. Now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing very, very well, Sean. Thank you. It's been a very uh, marvelous week of uh, different uh, Marvel things releasing, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this What If episode. I'm very, very excited. I am also excited to talk about this What If episode. This is one that intrigued me from the moment there was a, a poster that was released for What If, and it had a bunch of characters on it, and one of those characters looked like a cross between Vision and Ultron and had all of the Infinity Stones. And so I was thinking, what's that going to be? And there were some glimpses of that in the trailers for What If? But then we finally saw this character arrive last week, and we figured, uh, correctly, as it turns out, that we would get the backstory for this character. We would see this character emerge um, in this episode of What If? And we got that, and so... And, of course, we got a lot of other things to talk about, so this is not going to be the only episode of MCU Fan Show that you get this week. We know there's a movie out called Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and there are some implications from that movie, and so we will be talking about that on additional episodes of MCU Fan Show that are coming your way very, very soon. We just have to, you know, finish recording this one and then record those two, and then we'll go ahead and we'll put them out, but... Focusing on this episode of What If for now, really quickly, I have to give a shout out to Ross Marquand, who was the voice of Ultron in this episode, and this may actually be the second time you've heard his voice as Ultron. If you went and did the Avengers Damage Control VR experience at The Void a couple years back, that was actually Ross Marquand, not James Spader doing the voice. And Ross Marquand is a name that you should already be familiar with in the MCU because he was also, as far as duplicating a voice, he was also Stonekeeper or the Soul Stonekeeper slash Red Skull in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I thought he did another great job as the voice of Ultron in this episode. And overall, there were a lot of things I liked about this episode, 
But also, I understand why many of you were probably scratching your heads over timeline issues in this episode, and I won't let you down. We will cover those in this. There's plenty of flags on the play uh, that we will have to talk out as far as the timeline is concerned. But Paul, what were your thoughts on uh, overall on episode eight of What If? What If Ultron won? I I really like this episode. Uh, this I you know for me I, I wasn't only I was only able to get this uh, once in unfortunately, but I I didn't notice the timeline stuff off the off just right off the bat. So I'm I'm curious what I missed. But regardless, I really liked what we what we got. Um, we'll get to break down I think a little bit more of why I like this. Uh, but the idea of Ultron winning and, and combining Vision and, and Ultron together, I, I liked seeing that kind of, you know, what would have happened if, when, if Vision would have, and Ultron would have, or Ultron would have got his plan fulfilled in Age of Ultron instead. And I just, I, I like the design a lot. It was really mm. cool seeing uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow, yeah. you, know, you know, doing their thing. That was really cool. I, was, I wasn't expecting that, but th- they had good chemistry. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that wasn't... Um, Jeremy Renner voiced in it Hawkeye, was Jeremy but... Renner, but it was not Scarlett Johansson. It was Lake Bell. It was Renner. Yeah, okay. it was Renner yeah. and uh, Lake Bell, who's been the voice of Black Widow throughout this series. She's great. Well, she's been great, but I actually thought in this episode she started, and maybe it's just my own brain merging the two, but I thought mm. she actually started to sound, to me anyway, a bit more like Johansson's performance. She seemed yeah. to be a, a little bit more like that, or sound a little bit more like that in this one, which. I don't know that it made it any better or worse because I already liked the work that she was doing mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in in the previous episodes. But yeah, I thought both of them were great in this one. All of the 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 voice performances were outstanding. I mean, and Jeffrey Wright, of mm-hmm. course, as the Watcher, had cool. a lot of heavy lifting to do in this one because he loses his role as just strictly being the passive observer slash narrator uh, mm-hmm. in a way that is so different uh, than we already saw in. Uh, episode four, the Doctor Strange Supreme episode, although, of course, that one comes back around by the mm. end of this episode. But yeah, the, the voice cast was, uh, they were doing amazing work in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, so it was really funny because I didn't I didn't know Renner, obviously, because I didn't I missed that. But it was really great seeing these two characters together in a different aspect. Um, I thought the writing for both their interactions was, was very spot on from the MCU uh, characterizations anyway. And, and again, when you're doing a multiverse, a different timeline or whatever, it, it's to get the feeling of characterizations. It's hard, you know, because they've obviously gone through stuff. And and I think for the most part, the show has done a great job of, of that. Uh, and I think this episode episode in particular, it was really cool seeing them go off of each other because we haven't really seen a lot of um, of besides like the scene in Avengers of this them together like talking you know what I mean like we have we, we get like hints of things here or there but not a lot of time with them together anyway at least off the top of my head that I'm thinking of and seeing them work together and 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 trying to figure things out together was really really cool so um we'll get to more of that and their interactions eventually too but uh again Great use of characters um, from the MCU and intertwining different characters uh, from the Marvel Universe in this episode that I wasn't expecting that I thought were played off very, very well. Um, yeah, it's just a really enjoyable episode. I, to me, this is a great example of what what if can be. Again, timeline stuff notwithstanding, I, I, I don't want to say like, this is a flawless episode. I mean, whatever. It most certainly but, is not. But 
I really liked the 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 play of all the characters and the differences, and it felt very much like its own thing, and it wasn't trying to. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It felt it just felt very natural. Everything it, for me, anyway. I get this felt very much like it would have happened this way, and uh, yeah, I, I really liked where it was going. So I I, I really liked this episode a lot. There are a lot of things I like about this one from an Ultron perspective because Ultron just kind of lost first time out in Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean, I know he had some little mini victories in there, but overall he lost at the end of that film and we haven't seen Ultron come back. And Avengers Damage Control isn't actually canon in the MCU. Maybe it is somewhere in the multiverse now that that's a thing, but hearing the character or experience, seeing the character Going through that VR experience, it really made me feel like, I mean, I already liked Ultron and was hoping we would see the character back anyway, but then going through that experience, just thinking, there's got to be a future for Ultron somewhere, and I don't know where that is as far as live action is concerned. I think there is a future, though. I mean, now with all of the Disney Plus series, there's so many Marvel stories being told that it just feels like there's going to be so many opportunities where Ultron could pop up and you could build on the character's mythology with Jocasta and, and other things like that. There's a lot of things that can happen with Ultron, but as maybe a vehicle to kind of, I mean, I don't know that the, that Marvel studios really needs to do this as, as far as spark additional interest in Ultron, but I think this episode does do a good job of showcasing the potential of the character and how it goes beyond what we already saw in Avengers Age of Ultron. And so that part I liked, and you got to see how effective of an antagonist Ultron could be and, and how powerful he could become. I know it helps when you have a bunch of Infinity Stones, but even before he got the Infinity Stones, this is a version where he actually won. And so being able to explore the character and also just see the reaction to the character when he gets what he wants and um, you know, what happens when he runs out of purpose until he realizes that there's like an infinite amount of purpose that he can go find in the multiverse. All of that I thought was really interesting, but I'm well aware that I'm starting to get ahead of myself. So let's just go to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> and it's the Watcher talking about something we've seen before, right? Like we've been watching the destruction of universes and obviously the Watcher has seen more than his fair share. And the Watcher is saying this particular story breaks his heart and of course we know a little bit more as to why as we go on but we are catching up with Black Widow and Hawkeye in a post-apocalyptic version of Moscow and there's some really great stuff I mean they're on the run from these Ultron sentries and I thought the action beats in this uh, in this scene were really fun like I, I love the whole rapid fire arrow thing that Hawkeye was doing mm -hmm. and like the invisible tech that he had with the little cloak and the mechanical arm all of that stuff, like the, the new character design for Hawkeye in this, I thought was really great. And really, like, just throughout this episode, I mean, I talk about a great showing for Ultron, really great showing for Hawkeye as well throughout this episode. I, I was really enjoying the character in this one. Uh, so just, uh, it was more of a, an action-oriented opening, which was just fine, uh, that really sold the idea that these are the last two of the original six Avengers who are battling, who are basically battling a, a, a war that appears to have already been lost. But, you know, as always, there is hope and whatnot. Yeah, this was, um, I thought, a really great, uh, really great uh, opening for with Hawkeye and Black Widow. I, too, like the redesign of Hawkeye. I really like this metal arm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Again, playing out the idea of that, you know, these two 
the two people with without superpowers basically are surviving. I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, I really like that. I, I love the fact that we got. I love to see the the Vision and Ultron come together. That was that was a really cool design. That to me, again, was probably that. That's a. I want that figure. You know, I, I got to have the Hydra Stomper, and I've got to get. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if they're making this figure or not, but I got to get it. They got to make it. Get yeah. a Legends figure out there for it. Let's get it. I'm sure there is. I mean, I, I think I already saw a, a pop or a pop concept design for it. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there will be a Hasbro Marvel Legends. Maybe there will be a Hot Toys too. Who knows? Um, but as far as how we got here, this is where the Watcher takes us through. And, and this is the one where Ultron won, that he was successful in being able to merge his mind with the body, organic synthesoid body that uh, was made in Helen Cho's cradle from Age of Ultron. They don't really explain what happened differently that allowed him to get his wish and, and be able to win and, and get uh, use this body. But I, I think that's fine. I mean, they usually give us a little something as far as what made it different, but I, I'm okay with it, whatever. Circumstances worked out. He got to use the body that he was trying to use in Avengers Age of Ultron that he lost. And what he also gets that he wasn't able to access in Age of Ultron are nuclear codes. Remember that Jarvis had been blocking Ultron from getting the nuclear mm. codes in Age of Ultron. This was not a new pursuit for Ultron. It's just this time he was successful. And I guess this time he was able to do it because he was now with not just the vision body, but also with access to and being able to use the Mind Stone. And so with all of that, Ultron wins. Tony dies again for a record 47th time in this series. It's fine. Ultron wins. That means that Tony and the Avengers have to die. So right. the rest of the Avengers, I mean, we see that Cap is down. Thor is down. Hulk is down. Tony's the last one there before Ultron wipes them all out. Launches the nukes. Black Widow and Hawkeye survive the nuclear attack because they are up in the sky aboard a Quinjet. But there was a great little emotional beat there. And by great, I mean very, very sad for Clint to just say Laura realizing, and of course that reminds us, you know, which I, I know for you, Paul, it wasn't your favorite part of Avengers age of Ultron, the Barton family farm, but just mm -hmm. remembering and having seen that bond. And, and of course our reaction to that moment is not just informed by age of Ultron anymore. It's informed by Endgame and yes. uh, Clint Barton having lost his family then. So to just see Clint Barton instantly uh, register that the loss of his wife, which is also representing the loss of his entire family. He didn't have to list all of them right then and there um, to lose them in, in, in this moment as he's seeing, you know, the entire world being lost. This, I want to say right now that I, even though I'm not a fan of the characterization of this Clinton Barton in the MCU, I have softened my approach because of infinity war and Endgame, and now the new Hawkeye show. And so I do like the fact that, this Hawkeye, you know, in this episode is kind of like that Endgame. Where it's informed by Endgame and the fact that he's lost his family. So he has more, you know, he has this kind of desire to, like, get back and make things right and, and for in the name of his family. There is that emotional depth to him that I will say is lacking in the comic books. But I, I prefer my, my Hawkeye 616 universe Hawkeye. But I do like this more rugged, like, pissed off Hawkeye that we get in Endgame and in this uh, episode in particular. And I have to say too, Sean, I want to make sure I, I we got to talk about this for a quick second. Uh, the opening for this episode, as I just kind of rewatching it for a quick second, I, I want, I almost forgot to mention this, the animation 
mm. in this episode is unreal. Like I, I, I mean, like I've always said, like man, it's it feels like it's getting better. It feels like in this episode, it it went from like a like six to like a, a nine. Like I'm not sure if I'm the only one who noticed this, but it seems way more fluid than any of the episodes before it. Like it just it looks incredible. I'm like, like this whole opening with with Black Widow and Hawkeye. I remember now. Like I'm like, wait a minute. Like this looks really great. And I wanted to say something um, about that. I want to make sure if if maybe it's maybe it's just me being biased on it now. I don't know, but like I'm really impressed with how it looks now. It's definitely have gotten better. And I don't know if it's maybe it's just me, but it feels like this episode in particular it went from like again six to a nine. Am I am I crazy on this? Well, I think we just had some bigger sequences in this one. I mean, I think the animation has been pretty great throughout. And, you know, I can't remember from one episode to the next which one felt like the biggest leap to me. But I I certainly loved the animation in this one. I I thought it was gorgeous. And there are some shots that happen later that I really, really loved. But everything about the opening I, I thought was great, you know, before. And then, of course, we get to the, you know, the how we got here thing and then the different version of how things went down in that Avengers Age of Ultron period. All of that was working just fine for me. Things start to unravel (laughs) a bit in a segment I I just have to say, I can only call ouch my timeline. And we have uh, Earth, Earth has been pummeled by these uh, these nukes and the screen kind of goes white. And then we see Ultron in the aftermath and it appears to be fairly recent like it appears to be just after this nuclear holocaust it certainly doesn't appear to be years later but it sort of should be because as ultron is taking a breath and saying i mean not that he really needs to breathe but saying at last peace i mean age of ultron is 2015 and we don't see any indication of any significant passage of time here and even the watcher says age of ultron was only the beginning so in theory we're still kind of at the beginning of this, or the Age of Ultron was only beginning. And so it doesn't really make sense when Thanos in 2015, not 2018, shows up with all five Infinity Stones. He shouldn't be doing this for three more years. And then Ultron just says, fascinating, and cuts Thanos in half with the Mind Stone, which is, there's a separate conversation to be had about whether or not Ultron should have been able to dispose of Thanos so easily, but at least cutting Thanos in half is absolutely appropriate, considering Thanos loves to have things perfectly balanced, and he was perfectly balanced as far as being cut precisely in half, uh, and he wanted to cut the population of the universe in half. So it's very, very appropriate. It is poetic justice, not that Ultron intended it that way, But it ends up that way with Thanos being taken out in that fashion. So Ultron snags the Infinity Stones for himself, makes himself a new suit that I totally love. Like, he turns himself into, like, the armored Avenger of the universe. Like, he makes himself look like a knight. Uh, Makes makes himself look totally heroic because that's what he sees himself as doing throughout, even though it's, yeah, just totally ridiculous. Um, And then he realizes that he's now he's got all the Infinity Stones, so he's seeing everything worlds beyond his own and as he says worlds that need him and then he creates an army of ultron sentries with the reality stone and then he has his own little death star and sets out to lay waste to the universe and that leads to a montage that isn't just ouch my timeline it just completely shatters the timeline but 
Before we get to that montage, Paul, let's focus on this idea of Ultron taking out Thanos, because I know this was something that hmm. some viewers bumped up against and weren't particularly big fans of. And, and first, there is the timeline issue. It's three years too early. So all I can really think of to make sense of it in my head is that this timeline just has to be radically different. And Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's... I'll have more to say about that as we go on in this episode, but <laughs> it is a little difficult when it's like it's playing off of certain events at certain times, but then, oh, these don't count and these can have happened anywhere at any point in time. And so that makes it a little tough to follow. And um, so, but just to get this going, just work off of the assumption that this is a radically different timeline that just ha so happens to have some similarities with the sacred timeline. And that's an assumption that we will really need when we get to that montage. But setting aside the timing issue, just do I buy this Ultron being able to take out Thanos so easily? I wouldn't say I totally buy it, but my issues with it is maybe not the same reason that I've seen other people not buying into this. Like I've seen the question being asked, if this is what Ultron did to take out Thanos here, then why didn't Vision just do this in well, Avengers Infinity yeah. War? But I think there are reasons for that and like rational explanations that, that sort of make sense, not just like assume it's a different timeline. So, well, I mean, that right. I guess makes sense in its own way. But yeah. <laughs> a couple things to remember. One is that Vision was weakened and depowered exactly. in Avengers Infinity mm -hmm. War. But was the Mind Stone really depowered and weakened? Uh, you know, that a bit of a gray area, but... True. What right. I would also say, though, is this illustrates the differences between characters. Mm. Vision doesn't have that instant killer instinct on the same level that Ultron would. So, uh, and that's not to say that, like, Vision won't throw down. He totally will. But the way, like, the cold calculating way in which, like, Ultron, in really dismissive way, in which Ultron is just like, eh, cut the student in half. That is very much an Ultron move and not necessarily a Vision move. So I'll I'll give it a little bit of leeway there. Um, also, let's remember the uh, the get out of plot hole free card that uh, they established for themselves in Avengers: Infinity War when Doctor Strange looked at fourteen million six hundred five versions of the battle against Thanos, and uh, they were and they only won one of those. So for all we know, Vision did try to use the Mind Stone to cut Thanos in half in four, you know, in several of the 14,604 versions of the battle against Thanos that the Avengers lost. Maybe he tried it and it just didn't work in those timelines. I don't know. I know I'm reaching here. I'm doing my best. Um, <laughs> but I also think that, you know, maybe it's Thanos being ready, like in the middle of a battle, having just had a fight, a big fight on Titan, and then showing up to Wakanda, expecting a fight and just being totally ready for it. And he was, so he was ready for battle in infinity war and here maybe he wasn't and that certainly calls into question some things for me like thanos character wise like he did clench his fists here like he seemed like he wasn't totally flat-footed um and he could have used the other stones to defend himself against ultron but i think we're just meant to see it meant to see it as thanos being caught unprepared thanos being just not expecting something that quick uh, from Ultron and maybe being a little taken back, but taken aback by the idea of showing up to Earth and the Avengers, whom Thanos probably would have been expecting to fight, uh, not being there. So I'll roll with it, but I also acknowledge what it is, right? And it's something mm -hmm. we've seen before in the series. It's shortcut. 
They just wanted yes. to get Ultron the Infinity Stones to instantly boost his power level, and this story isn't about Ultron versus Thanos. So I, I can move Could on it. from here. I, I don't <laughs> totally buy it, but it doesn't derail it for me to the point where I'm like, I don't buy this at all, and I can't enjoy it. Like, is it my favorite thing about this episode? Absolutely not. But for the purposes of this story, sure, I, I can roll with it. See, and I, that when I watched it, I, I didn't think, I honestly didn't think people would have that much of a problem with it. Because like you said, Sean, this whole series has to take shortcuts. If it was, if it was telling like an hour long, each episode is an hour long, we're getting, you know, they'd be different. They'd have more of a fight. They might get more creative. But like you said, whole purpose was to give, to get Ultron the, the Infinity Stones. And to tell these kinds of fun stories, you kind of have to kind of go with it. Like the last week's episode, we talked a lot about that. There was a lot of reaching for that. And you well, just kind of you want to get him the Infinity it. Stones without making it about him going and getting all the Infinity Stones because that was already Thanos' story. Yeah, exactly. So I, for me, like I, I guess when I saw that, I just took it. I take it completely at face value, and I don't have any problem with it. If you have people have problems with it, I, I totally understand. It's just that you're you're barking up the wrong series, in my opinion, because th this is not this is not a complete co cohesive like you know undertaking of explaining everything to a detail. Like you said, shortcuts. There is a little bit of fidgeting on timelines, whatever. Um, for me, I I don't think that Vision could have taken on uh, Thanos in Infinity War for a number of reasons. He was weakened one, but also remember that Shuri was trying to get the 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 stone out of his head right before. So, I mean, it's not like, I mean, I, I took that as like, he just was kind of not completely 100% anyway. So, um, he, yeah. So I, I feel with, at, and then also at this point, vi, you know, Ultron's a lot more, just more, per, not precise, but a little more, you know, proactive fighting wise. Yeah. So I take it he's as a killer. like, you know, yeah, exactly. Straight up. He just knew exactly, you know, he's more of a fighter than, than, than Jarvis was right. He's a warrior. So, when Thanos shows up, he's like, I he knew exactly the way he wanted to kill him <laughs> up the middle. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, well, just think so, of the instincts, right? Like what's the right. purpose of it? Like visions intentions weren't so much. Let's kill Thanos. Maybe he should have thought about that a little bit, but that wasn't really his thought process. His thought process was entirely. I will sacrifice myself to save the universe yes. as opposed to Ultron, which is, I will murder this purple guy who sees, not that Ultron knows all of this about Thanos, but I will murder this purple guy who sees himself as the savior of the universe because I am, in fact, the savior of the universe. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you are talking about completely different mindsets. And remember, as Vision explained, when in Age of Ultron, he said, I'm not Ultron. I'm not Jarvis. Like, he just said, I am. Like, Vision is his own thing. And so different personalities, different decision-making, different styles, yeah. like all of that accounts for why Ultron would do something that Vision, as far as we know, didn't even attempt. Yeah, exactly. I I had no problem with that. I, I probably thought maybe some people would have problems with it because it was so quick. But again, I take it at face value because they have to tell a story that's like yeah. way shorter than what a movie could be. Yes, I'd love to see a, a fight scene between Vision and, or that Ultron Vision character with Thanos. That would've been awesome. But you know what? Like that's, We got something I thought better, to be honest, later on. But that's just me. Again, that's just me. And timeline stuff be damned. I, and, and what if? I, I don't mind as much. You know, last week's episode, same kind of thing. I, yeah. Well, that was more of like, it, it broke its own rules. And I can understand people's frustration with that one. Yeah. But uh, that was a little different. 
timeline stuff. I'm like, whatever. Okay, whatever. Well, but I yeah, can understand. I, I have no problem. With yeah, that. I mean, one other thing I could understand about the Thanos thing, it kind of goes back to the Infinity Stones and the TVA and Loki, and that. Yes. It is. Well, I mean, and look, I, it's recorded. I didn't love that. You know, I had some issues with that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I'm probably not as bothered by it as I was initially, but I understand that thing, right? Like we're we're here watching what if and being so excited about watching what if, not just because we like Marvel from the comic books, but specifically like we love the MCU and we love the Infinity Saga. And that's what what if is trading off of is our love and knowledge of the Infinity Saga. And so, you know, we built up these MacGuffins, the Infinity Stones, and Thanos as very, very important figures. So to see them dispatched so easily or, or being treated as almost trivial in a certain sense, which I think was you know different as far as what was really going on with the TVA, but I digress, or I won't. Um, so like I understand why some of that isn't necessarily people's favorite thing when it comes up in these types of series. But I also would say that I would prefer this. I would prefer... Ultron take out Thanos via an almost random cheap shot as opposed to like a knockdown drag out fight between the two of them in which Ultron bests Thanos where it's very clear that Ultron was like the more powerful of the two antagonists as if he should have been the one that we should have been focusing on in uh in the Infinity Saga like in and none of that would mean that anyway but yeah I, I understand why it wasn't necessarily everybody's favorite thing and I do have some questions about it myself but there are also arguments that I can put in my own head that uh, that sort of makes sense and where I understand it from a character standpoint so I'm I'm mostly okay with it where things get a little trickier is that montage so as I said we need that assumption in our own minds that this is a very very diff, uh, different timeline even though it means a lot of the same stuff sort of happens, but it happens in a different order and it happens in different years along this timeline because we see Ultron with his little Ultron Death Star. He goes and he takes out Asgard and then he goes to the Sovereign and the Guardians are there. And I don't know if this is meant to be the same trip from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It looks like it. Um, Or if it's meant to be a return trip, but... Should this be happening now? Because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is supposed to happen before Avengers Age of Ultron. Or at least in theory it does, and I'll explain more about that momentarily. The bigger issue, though, is uh, Gamora is there. Which, if Thanos got the Soul Stone, and he did that already in 2015 as opposed to 2018, shouldn't Gamora be dead Again, we have to go with the radically different timeline because then maybe it's someone else Thanos loved and, and sacrificed on Vormir. And then we see, uh, of course, he goes and destroys Sakaar and Grandmaster is super bummed as his contest of champions uh, comes to an abrupt end and everything blows up. And then we see Ego being blown up. Shouldn't Ego already be dead? And then we go to Xandar, which does not appear to have been decimated when Thanos would have grabbed the Power Stone that he already had when he showed up on Earth. And then Captain Marvel shows up for a battle with Ultron. She loses because Ultron blows up the entire planet and takes her out with it. And the Ultron versus Captain Marvel battle sequence I absolutely loved. Another animation highlight uh, that I really enjoyed in this episode. And then we're left with Ultron all alone having conquered all. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's go through... 
this timeline and these discrepancies that, that people have just quite naturally pointed out. Because, um, you know, it's been fair to kind of ask this question of like, do the, does the order of events in the Infinity Saga, does it matter at all in what if? And I think it's been fair to ask the question, but the definitive answer according to this episode is no, absolutely not. Um, because we already have the timeline break with Thanos and the Infinity Stones showing up right after Age of Ultron instead of a few years later. And I guess you could sort of make the argument that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 happens in early 2015 if you say that, well, the first Guardians happened in 2014, but maybe it was, and the second Guardians takes place a few months later. So if you say, well, it was late 2014 when the first Guardians movie happened, and therefore early 2015, a few months later, when Guardians 2 happened, and it's actually happening concurrently with Avengers Age of Ultron, then maybe it sort of makes sense. But that's a lot of work that you have to do, and it also contradicts the way they list the titles in chronological order on Disney+, Plus, which seems to be the definitive ruling on the MCU timeline. I don't know that it is, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but timeline shenanigans aside, I mean, what about Gamora? As I said, like I guess Thanos loved someone else and sacrificed them on Vormir. Maybe it was Nebula in this timeline. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was Death in this timeline. I don't know. Um, mm. Or maybe the Soul Stone wasn't even on Vormir in this timeline. Like I, I don't know. Is that where it always has to be in every timeline in the multiverse? Maybe not. And maybe the Power Stone, I guess Xandar surrendered it peacefully and easily rather than having a fight. Although I think Thanos would have whooped him up <laughs> like anyway. <laughs> so if Thanos shows right, up to Xandar right. to get the Power Stone, even if they try to surrender it peacefully, he's still going to take out half of the population there because that's just sort of his thing. So maybe the Power Stone was somewhere else in this timeline. So it's really more of like there, there are similarities between this timeline and the sacred timeline that we saw in the Infinity Saga but also major differences that began or must have begun long before Ultron got his wish. And this is the strange deal. Like, we've seen this coming up, well, apologies for the pun, time and again throughout this series. And I think this is maybe the biggest and maybe most egregious, if this is a thing you don't like, example of it. And it, it, I think this is where it just kind of comes to a head in, in this episode and in, in this montage in particular, the strange deal that this series makes with us as an audience, where it, it definitely wants us to bring our knowledge of the Infinity Saga to the table. It wants us to bring that knowledge to this series so that it can trade off of that knowledge and our emotional investment in these characters and in these stories so that way we respond in, in certain ways when they're told differently. But then it also wants us to forget or at least not care so much about what we know about the Infinity Saga whenever it's convenient within the story of an episode. And opinions will differ on whether or not that's a good or bad deal. And it's not entirely bad because it does create new, interesting, and even infinite possibilities within the multiverse. But it also seems like there might be ways to create these sort of possibilities without all of these unexplained continuity breaks. I, I understand, right? There are limitations. These are 30-minute episodes where they have to hit shortcuts and they want to be able to, rather than have Ultron go and attack a lot of planets we don't know, to go to spots that are famous within the MCU, even if the timelines don't totally sync up, that maybe it's worth going ahead and doing that anyway. So I, I 
understand the reasons why they would do it. And I, I give the storytellers a ton of credit for doing mostly great things with this series. And there are just times, though, where I'd, I'd wish they found they had found a better balance in some of these spots as far as doing things differently and allowing What If to be uh, to explore those infinite possibilities, but also respecting the Infinity Saga and what the audience watching this series knows about the Infinity Saga. Yeah, it's so hard for me because I understand. I, I'm a big continuity person. And it's it's strange for me to defend the you know the lack of continuity consistency in the show because I really love what, what we get from it. And it's just it's just one of those things where I just it's hard for me to like I, I feel like I'm in the middle because I totally understand people being like like you said, Sean, you're playing off the ideas of our knowledge of the MCU. That's what makes what if so much fun. And it's when you're when you're bending the rules so much, it's hard to always feel like jumping on. Again, for me, I always feel whatever the story is, if the story is good, a story is good. And again, like there is a lot. The problem is again, like the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. When I'm looking at it, I'm like I'm looking at the timeline. I'm like, okay, at this point, Guardians one and two are back to back, and then Age of Ultron happens, and that's mm. according to the sacred timeline of Disney Plus, right? Um, uh, sacred order, you could say. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's not just so, that. I mean, they confirmed what we already knew and what James Gunn has always right. told us that Guardians two is yeah. just a few months after the first one, which is really weird for a viewing order for me. Uh, it's just weird. But anyway, um, but Age of Ultron. So if you think about it that way, it's like, okay, everything that happens after Age of Ultron, things just get crazy. So what exactly happens? I don't know. It's just, it's just, like you said, it's just, I just kind of go with it and say somehow Thanos got the stones. Sacrifice whoever needed to sacrifice. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, but again, where... To me, it's 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 all about the journey of what, why you brought that together, and and I think so. It's like it's I feel in the middle about this. It's such a weird thing. My question is, do do you people as fans, do you feel that this is like a killer for the show? Do I mean I, I don't mean Sean will enjoy it regardless, for the most part. Whether you know we we'll, we'll criticize things when we we have issues, but will you like not watch the show because because of its lack of consistency? I, that's where I'm very curious of because. The people who are watching this, who are driving the show numbers and to justify if they're going to keep doing it, are they going to matter? Or are they going to think that matters? Are they going to care? Are they going to look at that? That to me is what I'm, the real question is. And I'm very curious if that is a, an issue or not. I know right. us hardcore fans, there might be issues of it, but that's the question. Are they going to have a problem with it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're pretty hardcore. Now, for the record, I, I don't rank fans in any sort of way. But yes, obviously, if you are someone who's watching every episode of every Marvel Studios Disney Plus series and you are listening to podcasts about it, first off, thank you, especially if you're listening to this podcast about it. Um, but like, I, I don't think people are... I, I would be surprised if there was... I mean... There are enough people that statistically there probably is at least one person who like every episode they finally drew the line of like, nope, this time they're not they're not respecting the timeline. I'm out of here. So statistically, that has probably happened. But whether or not there are large segments of the audience who are giving up on the show 
because of these timeline inconsistencies? I don't think so. I, I think it's more along the lines, and this is not to assume that everyone or most people agree with me, but I, I do think that this is kind of the the general consensus that I have seen out there is when I see people not being not being thrilled with some of these continuity breaks and you know the timeline inconsistencies, whatever, that, I mean, it's something they groan about, but they can still enjoy other parts of the episode. Like, it can impact the overall experience of watching the episode, but it doesn't, like, derail the entire series or compel them to give up on the series. And certainly, you know, like, I understand, because obviously I'm bumping up against these things, too. Like, I'm watching this montage being like, wait a minute, that doesn't sync up with what I understand about this series. So, like, if that bugs you, I totally get it. If it doesn't bug you, I also get it. Like, I understand that for a lot of people, they're probably, I'm sure there are some people listening to this podcast who are like, why are you complaining about timeline breaks again? Like, when will you just get it through your head that it's kind of random what's consistent, (laughs) what is in sync with the Infinity Saga and the Sacred Timeline, and what isn't? I should just pick up on and accept that trend by now. Um, And that is a fair argument to make. It's just a little bit tough because, as I said, I think that the series, like, for all the reasons why the series is taking us to Xandar, the Sovereign, Asgard, although there's not necessarily a timeline inconsistency there with Asgard, but for all the reasons it's taking us to those places, it's taking us to those places because it knows, the creators know we know about those places and we have an emotional attachment to those places, but our knowledge also includes what happened to them and when. And so, like, you're trading off of that investment, but you also want us to remember how we, what we know and feel about those places, but then also kind of sort of forget or not care that much about what we know about those places. And so that's where it is this break, uh, this little cognitive dissonance with this that that happens on almost a weekly basis with the show. And, And this is maybe one of the more aggressive ones because it's a montage where you have inconsistency after inconsistency after inconsistency. So... I get it. Um, I also get a little bit annoyed by some of these things when I see them, or I'm just at least a bit puzzled by these things. But it doesn't it doesn't block me from being able to enjoy what is like really truly different about it. Not just like the continuity gaps, but like exploring this story with Ultron that we didn't get to in the Infinity Saga. Because that's what I'm here for the most is like what is different and and not just in continuity nerd terms, but like what's really, truly different about the characters and the storytelling and, and expanding on different ideas. And so that's why, you know, timeline inconsistencies aside, what I did like about this was the way Ultron set about conquering the universe, because I think this distinguishes him from the other Infinity Stone collector whom he just killed. Because you could certainly ask the question of, well, like, why is Ultron doing all of this work? Like, if he has all the Infinity Stones, couldn't he just do what Thanos did and snap his fingers, although, you know, metallic fingers, although also, you know, the gauntlet was metal, so it was, me- it was metallic for Thanos as well. Like, can't you just, can't he just snap his fingers and everybody goes away and he takes over the universe? He can reshape the universe in whatever way he sees fit. The answer to all of those questions is yes, he could do that, but he doesn't because that's what's different about him. Unlike Thanos, for whom this whole thing apparently wasn't personal until Endgame when he said he was going to enjoy it, but the rest of it, it wasn't personal. It wasn't, this was Thanos thinking, 
that this is what he had to do. This was his duty in life was to do this. Ultron also has this inflated sense of self-importance and duty to save the universe, but Ultron enjoys the process the entire time. Not just when he's got beef with Captain America or the Avengers, Ultron enjoys this. He wants to savor this experience because as far as he knows, there's nothing left at the end of this. So I liked that Ultron, even though, yes, he could have uh, gotten rid of everything so much more quickly than he does. I don't think that's them overlooking Ultron and, and who he is and his power level. I actually think that's a keen insight into exactly who and what Ultron is that he likes taking out these worlds. He likes the process of conquering these worlds and, and he probably likes it more than Thanos did. Yeah. I think the Thanos wasn't about, he, he again, his, he had a whole different mindset. Yeah. I mean, you know, they both for, got savior complexes for sure, but it's just, well, right. Ultron right, is but, uh, Ultron's diabolical in a way that Thanos isn't, even though, yeah, Thanos is still a bad dude. Yeah, but like the thing is with Ultron, though, he feels like the only way to save the world is to destroy it. So he feels he needs to destroy everything and then rebuild it. You know, whereas Thanos is like, he got his own thing going on. It's even more complicated than that. So, but with, with Ultron, him destroying everything, it's it's seeing that whole like, apocalyptic idea is just crazy. Where we saw Thanos win in Infinity War, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone's like half the universe disappears and everything else kind of remains the same. Yeah. Uh, this everything is decimated and and a wasteland. So, and that's what he's obsessed with: becoming, you know, building it up in his in his own image. And now that he has the power to do it all, it's it's insane. It's crazy. Well, here's so, a great difference that you just reminded me of: is hmm. you you mentioned Thanos winning in Infinity War. Think about their reactions to winning, right? Th what does Thanos mm -hmm. do? He retires and he smiles. Like, that is a guy who has fulfilled his purpose and he is satisfied with that. Ultron is, like, bummed out when he when he's won. I mean, he doesn't know about the other universes yet. He's about to. But when he conquers the universe, he's sad because there's nothing left to conquer. For Thanos, there really was a mission that he could accomplish. And once that was done, he would be satisfied. There's nothing that's going to satisfy Ultron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's what that's what drives him later on, right? That's what yeah. makes him want to go and kind of when he, especially when he, he freaks out, because also the idea that he's like he's already done everything, and he's like, well, I have nothing else to to conquer. I have nothing else to, you know, the whole bad guy idea, right? That you're always wanting more, more, more. That is that trope, but it's it's real, right? I mean, that's that's a real life thing that people deal with, you know, and whether it be addiction or. In anything, whether it be, you know, these really awful things or something that turns out to be good, it becomes this awful, you know, thing. And the whole idea of wanting more, more, more is a very humanistic idea, right? So the fact that once Ultron gets this and he's like, I've already got everything, and then a whole another idea opens up, it makes him stoked, you know? So I really liked seeing that aspect of Ultron. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I loved seeing that play out in this episode through the watcher. Yeah, that part was great. Like as Ultron has conquered all or so he thinks, and the watcher is just narrating this as he always does for us and refers to Ultron as being a program without a purpose. And then, uh, you know, or at least until Ultron hears him. And I, I like that we are seeing Ultron hearing him. Like we see Ultron's eyes start, you know, moving to the side, pointing to, of course, you know, 
back in back of him where we're seeing uh, the Watcher. I love how we are aware that Ultron is listening to the Watcher before he knows that Ultron is listening. And so when he says, like, Ugh. who said that? And then that the moment where he says, I see you, that was great. Like, and in that moment for the Watcher of like, oh, shit, uh, that he finally yeah. got caught uh, watching. And so, because that's, you know, what he does. Um, but the Watcher is, you know, as he's talking about, like, I've seen everything, everything that, that has ever happened, will ever happen. But what the hell is this? Like Ultron is uh, Ultron is now aware of other universes, and and he could destroy the entire uh, he could destroy the entire multiverse. But the Watcher says there is uh, there is one last hope. Uh, but before we get to that, just talking about this uh, this moment. I mean that moment of awareness for Ultron. It feeds into the idea of him being this piece of artificial intelligence that just continues to learn and of course, gaining his own sense of self, becoming self-aware and being what he was, of course, in Avengers age of Ultron, seeing that reach a whole other level after he's conquered the universe, I thought was really, really great in this. Um, and then, you know, the watcher starting to realize uh, that he doesn't get to be such a passive observer. Like once he becomes aware of the threat level of Ultron, because Ultron becomes as great of a threat as the Watcher has ever seen, because this is the first one that he knows of that is able to, you know, peer behind the curtain or behind the the Watcher's prism and see and understand that uh, there's a lot more that's going on here. and, And the multiverse is right there for the taking. And so the Watcher starting to realize that. And also at the same time, realize what that means for him and how that calls into question whether or whether or not he really gets to continue being a passive observer in this. And I don't even know at this point, it's interesting to see the watcher struggle with it because he already feels like he's no longer passive. And I'm not referring to the fight that he's about to have with Ultron, but just the fact that he got caught peeping it's the Watcher being the Watcher and doing his thing that allowed Ultron to gain knowledge of the multiverse in the first place. So there's already a certain amount of this where Ultron, or the Watcher rather, can't even claim to be passive. I mean, I almost feel like the Watcher owes people some help because he's actually helped create this situation, but I don't know whether or not he's actually going to follow through. This to me was obviously the crux of the episode and it worked on all levels for me because I wasn't expecting what we got. I wasn't expecting Ultron to uh, discover the multiverse through the watcher. Like that was a very inspired idea in my Mm -hmm. opinion. I also didn't expect a battle between Ultron and the watcher at that time either. That was, that was crazy. And I've, I have seen the watcher fight in random. And I, again, I haven't read every watcher comic. Obviously I've seen him fight in other, what if comic books like we have in, you know, but it wouldn't be even that iteration of the watcher. It w- it'd be like a, a different version of the watcher. Right. Right. So, so this was very interesting on a multiple levels because you get to see the watcher from a, from a different standpoint of, on the defensive, but also he starts towing that line, right? Like where, where exactly does he interfere? So if someone attacks him, 
is that, you know, he, he, obviously he can defend himself, obviously, but, you know, he's also, it seems like he's the protector of the multiverse, you know, because he's, he realizes that, you know, this is, you know, we can't have this happen. I will say what I, and again, we talked about this earlier as well, and I just, I really hope they explain this somewhere, either in Loki season two or whatever, but if Ultron can go through the multiverses mm-hmm. and can use the infinity stones and can conquer all multiverse realities through them, but yet they're just paperweights in Loki. This is my main problem with the show right here is this part. So I, this is my, I love, I love what happens, but this is my main problem with it. I'm curious if you are in agreement with it, but I love the fight. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was great to see, you know, the watcher's power level, right? Like that was great to see. And he's not a chump. This guy could take on someone with affinity stones. Right. So that should show you something too. And I also, you know, before I pass it back to you, sir, is when I, you know, going through the sacred, uh, you know, order of Disney plus the sacred of uh, film order. It does put, this does put everything before Loki. Loki's after this. I'm not sure if that means anything, something to think about, but I, I do think it's interesting that this happens. Maybe the watcher helps depower the infinity stones. I don't know. That would make sense because, yeah. because obviously he can go to toe to toe with an Ultron with infinity stones. You know, he must be powerful enough to handle, you know, the infinity stones, you know, everywhere. So that's where I'm kind of going with it. I'm curious what you would think. And if they do really need to explain why, these things are depowered through again, TVA, everything's depowered. That to me seems too, too convenient. You know what I mean? Like sure. that. I mean, I guess me. he who remains figured out a way to literally depower everything from every timeline within the confines of the TVA. But it's also worth like noting, like we don't know where slash when exactly the TVA is. Like we still don't fully understand the practical nature of it or magical nature of it. Although apparently it's not supposed to really be magic, but yeah, there's still a lot that we don't fully understand or grasp about the TVA. So I'm okay. If like the whole, if infinity stones, just like everything else that's magical or mystical or has otherworldly powers or whatever, that that sort of thing just doesn't work in the TVA, but anywhere else it theoretically could Okay, fine. Um, I will roll with that. Although maybe there is, uh, there was already a something deceptive about that in the first place, designed by He Who Remains. I don't really know. But what's also interesting to me, Paul, not just the Infinity Stone implication from the TVA, but what does this mean for a character like, well, not He Who Remains, but like graduating from that to Kang? Like I thought Kang was like our multiversal, multi-timeline sort of antagonist and and now Ultron mm-hmm. is being put in that place and, and look I don't think Ultron I think Ultron loses next week and so that kind of will maybe cover that to some extent or maybe he I mean it would really stink if this ends exactly the way Loki did where the antagonist of season one is vanquished so that we set up another version of him an even more powerful sadistic version of him to be right. uh, the antagonist of the next season. So hopefully the whole Ultron thing is put to bed, not permanently in the MCU. As I said, I, I want Ultron to have a live action future, but I, I just don't, 
I wouldn't want it to be a thing where like, yeah, this feels too much like the, the end of what if uh, season one feels too much like the end of Loki season one. But another thought that I, I kind of had here as far as differentiating between uh, between Kang and Ultron, it, it goes back to another way that we interpreted what was happening in Loki and more specific than that, the nature of the sacred timeline in which it wasn't literally one timeline. It was a set of parallel timelines that, that worked out well enough for whatever he who remains wanted. And, and it was the things that ultimately resulted in him achieving his end goals and, it, and all the branches that would have led to things in which he doesn't win that don't end with him at the end of the Citadel at the end of time, running the TVA and everything. Um, those are the branches that he would prune, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that literally everything is all part of one single timeline. We have these other ones, although I'm looking at the MCU timeline order right now. What if it's actually after Loki? Um, oh, is it? I thought it was before, right my fault. No, it is. Loki is actually the first up after Avengers Endgame, and then we have What If, and then WandaVision, and then oh, Falcon. I, I, and I thought, I, th I was thinking WandaVision then. Okay, Which yeah. Could, yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so, yeah, we're, but what's interesting about that is this would almost make more sense to me if this was before Loki, that this was all still sacred timeline, and that What If is not as infinite, the multiverse is not yet as infinite as the Watcher thinks, and then you blow up the balloon from here. Um, but apparently that's not the case because we're we are past um, yeah you know we we are past Loki and, and we have the multiverse having you know blown up in the way that it has and, and we have all of these different uh, branched realities that uh, allow so many differences whether they sync up with our ideas of timing in the Infinity Saga or not uh, not to go back down that road but um, yeah like I I don't know I, I think the biggest question mark for me as I was watching this episode and, and seeing Ultron reach this level as an Ultron fan I'm enjoying it and seeing this character become an even bigger threat throughout the multiverse but it does call into question like well if Ultron's doing this what is this what's going to differentiate the next one and obviously the characters themselves always differentiate one right. another and and Ultron will probably be something that our multiverse Avengers next week are, are able to defeat but that's not the same as being able to defeat someone like Kang. So, and then as far as the infinity stone still working, like I, I guess wherever the watcher is, this little prism from which he views the universe, like he's not, uh, he's not in the TVA. So I guess they can work there and maybe the infinity stones from one timeline can still work in another timeline. The only place they can't work is in the time variance, uh, authority, which fine, I, I will go ahead and, and, and I will, I'll accept that and, and just roll with it. Um, but yeah, like there, there were some question marks about that, but I feel like those aren't things because we don't know the full nature of what happens next, as far as the TVA and Kang that didn't really, I didn't bump up against that as much as the things that are kind of already solid in the infinity saga that have already happened and unfolded a certain way. You know, there are ways for this to kind of, as things unfold, to have these things be different from one another and, and still make sense and be impactful so the stuff that's more forward-looking, um, that I'm I'm not bumping up against that stuff quite as much. I'm just interested to see how exactly they will do things differently and, and what makes Ultron 
different from Kang as far as the threat level and, and how he's ultimately dealt with, um, which I'm sure they'll find different ways to, to do it, as I said. Um, so mm-hmm. as all of this is happening and the multiverse is under threat, we have one last hope, uh, favorite word of the series. In Moscow, Black Widow and Hawkeye are looking through files and um, Natasha, while they're there, finds a Red Guardian shield. I thought that was, that's like the only phase four nod that we have. That was pretty awesome. Uh, so far, I mean, awesome. I mean, I know it's, it's, of course, during the Infinity Saga time period, but I like that that got thrown in there. And they're ready to give up after searching through all of these boxes. Um, and, uh, of course, the file they need to get the knowledge they need to defeat Ultron, it's right there. And I love the Watcher struggling with this, wanting to help. But instead, all he's really doing is just cheering them on. And even that doesn't do any good because they can't hear his moral support. They're not Ultron. They are not Doctor Strange Supreme. Uh, Clint is ready to give up. But Natasha looks in one more box. And it's the one the Watcher wanted Clint to open. Uh, But, of course, remember the Watcher did not, has not interfered yet. Um, And it is uh, Zola who is the answer because Zola is analog. And so uh, while this is happening, this is where Ultron finds the Watcher and Ultron needs to silence all of these universes. He's aware, he's become aware of them and the chaos inside them. He is the answer to that to silence them all. Cutting back to Siberia, we are at the base that we saw famously in Captain America Civil War and Natasha and Clint, they boot up Arnim Zola and the first words he says, he refers to them as agents of Shield, which I'm sure agents of Field, uh, agents not agents of Field, agents of Shield <laughs> fans popped for. You know, I flagged it right away. I was like, "Oh, agents of Shield!" Uh, an acknowledgement of agents of Shield in this way, uh, which I, I definitely think was intended. That phrasing was there very intentionally, I think, from the series creators as an homage to the show that. Uh, is canon somewhere in the multiverse, even if not necessarily in the sacred timeline. We find out Clint Barton's middle name is Francis. It's a family name honoring his Mima, And we get uh, we get the scoop on the plan here, and that is to put Zola on an arrow, one of Hawkeye's techie arrows, hit an Ultron Sentry with that arrow to upload Zola into the Ultron Sentry so that it can be ultra so that Zola can be uploaded into the Ultron hive mind and tear Ultron apart from within. And it seems like the kind of thing that Ultron should be able to stop at any point. I know we find out that at this particular moment, he's uh, he's out of range. It, it does make me a little curious in this episode as I was watching Clint Barton and Natasha Romanoff, like before Ultron left this universe and became out of range, I'm like, can't he see like what they're doing via all of his Ultron sentries? And can't he just use the infinity stones to like wipe them out with a thought? And the answer to that is totally yes, he absolutely could. But I kind of chalk that up to um, Ultron. Like, yes, he has the ability to stop all of this if he really, really wants to. But I think Ultron has got to a point right now where he's so powerful that stuff like this is just beneath him. So, Maybe this will ultimately be his undoing, as arrogant antagonist uh, syndrome often is. But uh, I, I was fine with that because, yeah, it made sense that Ultron at this point isn't even really thinking about two humans left behind on Earth. So they do end up getting Zola into a century, um, but the hive mind is out of range. And it was really cool during this sequence to like see them climbing up and battling in the missile silo that was famous in the final fight in Captain America Civil War. 
and Clint Barton, uh, the way he trapped the sentries and then his sacrifice at the end saying to Natasha, like, I told you, I don't want to fight anymore. And we get that great wide shot of like Clint falling and firing. And we see an Ultron sentry, one Ultron sentry above all of the rest as they're flying towards him. And, and uh, Clint Barton making that sacrifice to help Natasha and Zola get away. All of that was great. And, and you know, as they escape, Natasha wants to know why they couldn't reach Ultron's hive mind. And that's where Zola tells her that he must not be in the observable universe. And then we, of course, get to see where he is and we get this epic battle between Ultron and, and Watcher. But before we get into that, Paul, just your thoughts on, um, I mean, you you highlighted the animation in this episode or you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that as a, as a highlight of this episode. And I, yeah. I think it, it was really shining in this sequence as well. Yeah, this was this was great. I, I loved seeing uh, Zola in the episode, and this was something that I I wanted to talk. I talked about earlier that I, I wasn't I didn't see coming, and I really like the fact that they're using always different characters in you know the MCU. And Zola was always one of those characters that they teased in First Avenger. They used him in Winter Soldier, but they used him in a very a great way. But he was kind of here today, gone tomorrow. And I, I, I've always loved Zola. He's, he's a really crazy character. So when, when they use him in this and they use him against Ultron, I really like that. And I like the idea that, that Zola is, you know, again, teaming up quote unquote with them and being used in that way. It was again, very create creative and inspired idea. Um, and the idea that, you know, I love the fact that like when, when they load him up and he's like, Ultron's not in, you know, he's, I can't reach him. And he, he suggests that like, he's not in this universe potentially. And they're just kind of like, huh? And I love that. And I just love seeing Zola team up with black widow and Hawkeye. I maybe miss him a lot, Sean. I'll be honest. I miss Zola a lot. And I wish he would show up. You never, he'll probably show up again sometime. And the fact that he shows up in this episode, maybe, maybe hints at the fact that we might see him in phase four potentially. Right. I mean, if we're going to get Captain America four with Falcon, maybe he shows up again. Who knows? Right. So there's, I mean, I would love, in fact, I mean, sides quick, quick, quick side tangent, maybe kind of cool. If, if uh, Falcon, you know, takes on red school and Zola in his next uh, movie, you know, I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. Um, as far as yeah, the animation again, I, it's incredible, man. There's some, they're doing some kind of cool blend with, traditional 2d animation with some kind of mo i I can't explain it i'm not an animator i have no idea what the hell i'm talking about but there's something with this animation that they're it feels like they're getting a better idea of and i I talked about keeps getting better and better but this is it made the action and this and the the motion they use with everything with the 2d animation Mm -hmm. just seems so great and and the fight scene between watcher and and ultron is just chef's kiss I'm so sure. Good. Yeah, I'm sure there's a technical term for this, but I and clearly since the last time we brought it up, I, I haven't looked it up. But there is some strange, beautiful effect in this show with the animation where it has a it has a hand drawn look to it at times from like classic 2D animation, and yet it still achieves like it's still part of three dimensional space with 3D animation. Like it is a really great blend of these two different types of styles. And, and I know it's, it's probably not literally blending those two types of styles. I'm sure it's all still done on computers and whatever else, but like it's 
whatever they're doing and whatever the term for it is, the the end result is is really awesome. And yeah, to your point, like it, it's great in like Black Widow and Hawkeye versus Sentry sequences, and it was really great with Ultron versus Captain Marvel. But when we get to Ultron versus the Watcher. I mean, I, I just, I was loving it. Like, we're back in the uh, the Watcher's prism, and we see this confrontation, and Ultron just knocks the Watcher through that prism into a world, and he just keeps knocking him through all of these different worlds, and, you know, and, and also does a great job taunting him throughout. Like, all those worlds, all that suffering, and you just Ugh. watched. And yes. the Watcher's response to that, like, I swore an oath, I cannot exert my will on the natural order of things, I cannot intervene, and that really had me wondering, like, sworn oath to whom exactly? Like, his fellow watchers, or is there some other yes. being that, uh, like Kang, or mm. some celestials, or someone? Um, although, I mean, I guess, like, the whole celestial we can't intervene is more of an Eternals thing. But actually, Ultra, or wa the watcher's costume almost looked Eternals-like. Um, when he went from, like, when he upgraded to, like, full superhero mode with his costume, he did look kind of uh, Eternals-esque to me. Um, but anyway, didn't have that much of an effect because uh, the watch. Although we did see the watcher like go on the uh, go on the offensive, like was blasting Ultron, got the new costume, and then as like Ultron was trying to say like you lack the will to beat me and all that stuff, or you lack the will to stop me, the watchers come back of that like you cannot compute the power of my will. It's a nice comeback, but I'm like, eh, how strong's your will, buddy? You just been watching. Let's let's wait and see. Um, I, I like I like no I, I I liked the line I, I don't feel like the watcher thus far has earned the right to say it so hopefully he earns it after the fact as uh, we keep going mm -hmm. on here um, but the battle just keeps on escalating and we get that we get Ultron going in full like Galactus planet eating mode or universe eating mode uh, in one of those shots and then like we're just getting knocked through these realities where like Steve Rogers is president. Um, although pineapple shirt dude from the party Thor timeline is also there. So is this the same timeline? I don't know. Um, and you know, Ultron just continuing to taunt him. Like this is more fun than just watching and a lot less creepy. I thought was great. You know, solid burn that the watcher deserved. Um, and it just goes all the way through until the watcher has no choice, but to just get away to survive and escapes to the shelter of Dr. Strange Supreme, who asks him, you know, are you ready to break your oath? And, and the Watcher is, and, you know, like, oh, do you want me to, do you really need to hear me say it? And Dr. Strange does. So the Watcher says, you know, I see now, I need your help. Everything about this was so great. Like, the, the desperation for the Watcher, you know, to go to Dr. Strange Supreme at the end was very compelling to set up the next episode, which is going to be our season finale, uh, but then, of course, you know, this whole battle sequence between this uh, infinity version, infinite version of Ultron versus the Watcher, all of this was was great stuff. And so it's, it's hard to be too upset about timeline and continuity breaks when we get stuff this uh, this awesome like this. This still overrides, you know, my my continuity mm -hmm. nerddom. Yeah. And, and that's to me why I think the show works on so many ways, because there's. You have these contradictions. It's not perfect, yes, but I think in the end the spirit is there, and that to me is the most important thing of the show. Of, of anything, when you're adapting something, as long as I think as long as you know the spirit is there and it stays true to itself within the context of what it's trying to do of uh, the show or the characters, and in this case, it's what if. Um, I, I thought I did a great job of giving us a great alternate reality, but also giving us like, oh crap, like. 
you know, the watcher is now, there's some danger now. And that was something I wasn't expecting. You know, I didn't really think there would be, I thought maybe he might assemble some kind of Avengers team, maybe, but I wasn't expecting to see what we got. And again, calling back to the previous episodes of Dr. Strange and things like that. So it was really cool to see those things played out. And again, seeing watcher on the offensive and we're setting this up. And I keep going back to, I think we're obviously, I think we're going to see Jeffrey Wright um, voice the watcher in the future in live action. Oh, absolutely. Um, live yeah. action, quote, quote unquote, live action, meaning he'll be live action a, CG. Yeah. 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 Right. And so with all that said, I think that's what's really exciting is the fact that we're going to get something like this. And what does that mean exactly? And when you say swore an oath, you know, there, there are other watchers. And what are the other watchers swearing an oath to? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't remember exactly if it's, you know, it's eternity or I, I, that's my, I need to do some research potentially. Yeah, but my question would be, what are the other watchers doing besides like hanging out with Stan Lee in Guardians <sighs> of the Galaxy volume two? Because mm. this watcher who I think I'm trying to remember, have they called him Uatu in this show yet? They haven't yet. No. Okay. So, and yeah, and if they, and if they did and we forgot, Feel free to scream at us in your car or wherever you're listening to the show. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, he almost, this show almost plays him off as like the only watcher. Like if he's seeing everything that ever has happened or will happen throughout the entire multiverse, like how many more watchers do you need? Um, that That's the part that's a little confusing to me. But of course, it's not like a, a contradiction or anything based on what's already happened. We can, of course, learn more about this later on. I mean, who knows? Maybe you have to like graduate to his level that like not all watchers get to watch the entire multiverse. He's the one who gets to do that. Um, but part of that is, you know, swearing an oath. Like if you get to see everything, you know, you can't intervene and you have to prove that you're able to not intervene by like just watching one universe at a time. I don't know. Now I'm creating my own fan fiction about how watchers work in the MCU. <laughs> Maybe they will enlighten us on some of this stuff. Uh, next week or in subsequent episodes or what if or yeah in a, a live action performance capture Jeffrey Wright get ready for the gray pajamas sort of version of this uh, when we might uh, learn more about this character and, and how all of this stuff works but um, regardless of that I mean I think this has been the arc like our, our one consistent character throughout this entire season has been the watcher and you know we go back to kind of the midpoint of this uh, a few weeks ago episode four where it was the Watcher not intervening as a universe was being destroyed and kind of just leaving Doctor Strange Supreme to his own fate and, and the fate he had secured for his own universe. And now the Watcher realizes that he must intervene. But as I also said, um, I, I don't know if I consider this as, as bold of a choice for the Watcher now because it only seems right, not only because the multiverse needs him to intervene, but also this is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say it's his fault, but he certainly helped create this possibility in the first place. So, yeah, uh, he needs to step up. And so I'm, I'm glad he's doing that. And, yes, this sets up uh, what should be a, a pretty epic finale because I'm mm -hmm. sure the Watcher and, and Doctor Strange Supreme are going to go assemble a team to take on this version of Ultron. Yeah, no, exactly. And when he comes to Doctor Strange... I thought it was so rad. Yeah. I got to tell you, that was that was really cool. And you got to think now that he's using this Doctor Strange, is this going to set up Multiverse of Madness? Is this going to be potentially someone we see in the film? I'm, I mean, 
because consider this if he survives his battle with Ultron, which maybe that's see, that's her out. That's see, that's a big if for me because I kind of feel okay. like Doctor Strange Supreme owes everybody one. Like the Doctor uh, Strange who killed a universe probably needs to sacrifice himself to save the multiverse. Mm, mm, mm. I like where I like where your head's at on this actually. So yeah, I mean, it really depends on where they go with it, but yeah, I I think that. If he does survive, you would think that like as a as a way of like because he took him out of that universe, he's going to let him go. But just and he'll maybe the watcher would say, like, I have my eyes on you. So if you do anything crazy, you know, I'll I'll, I'll find yeah. you. So if you do anything crazy, not, I'll watch and not yeah, intervene. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching and I'll assemble a team, <laughs> you know, assemble a crew. Yeah, uh, yeah that's kind of where I, I think that would be. Or it'd be kind of interesting, but I think I like your idea better. The fact that if he he, he should probably sacrifice himself for the multiverse since he can see destroy the whole universe himself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's like the cosmic justice of it. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe the watcher is the one who sacrifices himself, although I don't think so because, like, what if is the watcher's realm, it's his whole yeah. thing, and so if we're gonna mm-hmm. go get another season, then it feels like the watcher would still need to be there. Doctor Strange Supreme would be welcome there, but not doesn't have to necessarily uh, to be there. So mm. I, I don't know, but yeah, they've, they've done a good job setting up a, a finale that I'm excited about. And, and I think that's really where, you know, this episode did a good job and, and worked for me on, on those levels where continuity nitpicks aside and, and maybe even slightly more significant than nitpicks, like those things aside, I still really enjoyed a lot of this because it was a, it was still a great exploration of the character of Ultron, also the character of the Watcher, and really built on this, the serialized nature of this season of What If. Maybe it doesn't sync up, not maybe, it definitely doesn't sync up with a lot of stuff in the Infinity Saga, but throughout the infinite multiverse and just going off of that, and you know these timelines maybe being not as similar as we might have assumed, then... It's working on those levels, and they've set it up to the, to the point where I'm legitimately excited about this finale. And so, yeah, there have been, I mean, there's only one episode that was like a just a miss for me, and that was the zombie episode. Everything else I've enjoyed to varying degrees. And in this one, I wouldn't put it at the very top, but I, I also wouldn't put it close. I wouldn't put it toward the bottom either. There's a lot that I really enjoyed about this one, and I, I think that it's been a compelling character arc for the watcher to uh, to set up seeing that character hopefully take another leap forward because it's one thing to say that uh, for the watcher to say that he's going to intervene but it's quite another to say he's actually going to do it and by the way I don't actually give him credit for having intervened just yet defending himself against Ultron is not the same as the watcher intervene inter- intervening to save others you know to save the destruction of other universes so this is where we it's time for the watcher to finally step up and it looks like that's what we're about to see and uh i'm very very excited about it and i'm very excited to talk about it but that'll be next week that's going to be it Mm -hmm. for this edition of the mcu fan show although you won't have to wait until next week to hear from us again we have a couple more episodes coming your way before we get to our spoiler review of the what if season finale so make sure you are following us in all those places you can at mcu fan show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you are enjoying the show, leave that rating and review on Apple Podcasts while you're there. You can search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel 
and subscribe for premium content, exclusive episodes of Fan Show Plus that are also available uh, to premium subscribers via patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in the show notes. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, subscribe, like. Um, we just did a fun 90s uh, Marvel versus DC uh, limited series crossover uh, episode where we kind of went over that uh, 90s uh, little thing going on, and it was a... Uh, it's pretty interesting. Trip down memory lane, if you will. But yeah, check that out. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, got some uh, new ideas and new videos coming out soon. So check it out. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>